There we go. And we're back again with our Ramadan series. And this is probably going to be the last one that we've got because I feel like we've done like three or four already and Ramadan will be over and then Eid will be back anyway. I've got Aminor back from our Liverpool preview to kind of just talk me through his footballing hero. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening to our footballing hero series this, this far along. This one is obviously a Liverpool one, being a Liverpool supporter. So I really don't need to ask you who your footballing hero is, Aminor, because I kind of already know in it. But you can tell the audience just if they don't know. Steven Gerrard. Steven Gerrard. And for Steven Gerrard, this is someone that I don't need to do any research about because I've loved watching him. I've hated watching him. I've laughed watching him. And I've probably cried watching him as well. So that's how I can describe Steven Gerrard as a Manchester United as, and as an England fan as well. So I'm going to take it away with your first impressions of Steven Gerrard when you were growing up. What did you kind of remember from the early days of Steven Gerrard, hashtag 17, before he became number eight? It was actually number 28. Was, it, was it, You remember from that long ago? Nice it, was number t- it was 28, then, then he went 17. to number 17, then he went to number 8. Good man. Yeah, I remember his debut goal. Obviously, at that time, I weren't really watching football because I was only about four. Mm. So I wasn't really interested in football like that. I'm surprised but... you can remember that long, but yeah, nicely done. <laughs> Mine was like 2001, I'd say, as my earliest football memory. Yeah, I started watching football in 2001. To be fair, Steven Gerrard wasn't initially my hero. Mm. It was actually Michael Owen. We can talk about Michael Owen every every day of the week. I've got time for Michael Owen. But I'd rather not. But Michael Owen was actually my hero until he left us. And I remember I was sad. I, I remember I cried when Michael Owen left to go Real Madrid. That was me and David Beckham, man. In that 2002-2003 season, my mum treated my brother and I to Man United kits, the blue away kit. So he got Van Nistelrooy the, the back. One. The Vodafone one with the silver outline and everything. It's sick. Uh, my brother got the Rude Van Nistelrooy shirt, number 10. And I got David Beckham. They're the only ones that uh, JJB were doing at the time. Remember JJB? JJB oh, Love it. They were the only one that, that was doing at the time. So I was like, yeah, I'll take David Beckham. He's a, he's a decent player. I really like him as well. I tried to do my hair like him with the mohawk. It didn't work because the water <laughs> would fade away or the gel would fade away. But yeah, he was obviously my f- uh, first footballing hero. In, and then I was distraught when he left for Real Madrid, not knowing that a certain young Portuguese was coming through to tear it up at Man United a couple of seasons down the line. But that was that was just with me as well. I, I was so upset about David Beckham going and I was like, what am I going to do? Like you said previously when we were having a conversation, those were the kind of problems we had as children. <coughs> Our footballing heroes left for another club, innit? You're just exactly. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It was, yeah, it's just crazy. I remember like Owen was my life. I remember he was just everything. Like the way he used to just run past people and the way he finished everything. And he was only like 18, 19 at that time. Like it was amazing. Mm. And then... Ballon d'Or winner at 22 as well, if I remember correctly. Ballon d'Or winner as well, yeah. So I remember I enjoyed Owen for a good season or two. I remember he went to Madrid. And then obviously he left. I was heartbroken. I was only like seven, eight years old. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And then obviously I started started supporting Liverpool when we won the FA Cup against Arsenal in 2001. Mm. When we won 2-1. That gold kit. Yeah, that orange kit, yeah. And then... um, yeah, so then obviously Owen left and then I started seeing Gerard play and I was like, whoa, this guy just shoots from anywhere and he just goes in. He just anywhere, literally, he shoots from anywhere and he can just go in. And it ain't even a little, like, it's not even like a side foot where he places it. He just Pile drivers. It. Pile yeah, drivers just, from Gerard. He literally just whacks it and it goes in. 
I was like, this guy is amazing. Like, who is he? And then I started watching him. And then we done the supposed fake treble in 2003, where we won the League Cup, the FA Cup, and the Worthington Cup, was it? I think it was the Worthington Cup. That was in 2001. 2003, we won the league. Arsenal won the FA Cup. Ah, we won the UEFA Cup, I think. Yeah, UEFA Cup, that was it. We won the UEFA Cup, yes. And then obviously I saw like Gerard getting better. And then I think I remember he t- him taking the the captaincy from Sammy Hippier in 2004. That was crazy. Because obviously when we were growing up, leaders were probably the most experienced players in the team that you'd be seeing. We've got the Roy Keynes, we've got the Vieiras. Yeah, they were like minute. Yeah, they were like 27, 28, and that's when they start taking the reins. And that's so when you kind of saw the new reins of uh, captains coming through. So it's right, but that's when like the the younger John Terry was coming through, the youngest yeah. Steven Gerrard, like you said. So it was a new yeah, era of the captaincy Ledley Kings coming through and all of that. Yeah, yeah, Ledley King could shout that. Yeah, and then I saw him, and then I remember watching the Champions League. Like I remember that Olympiacos goal. I still get like goosebumps whenever I watch it. Whenever I hear. It's a beat, what a hit, son. <laughs> like, it's, what a hit, son, what a hit. I'm not going to do the like, accent. My Scottish is awful. I've got a Scottish yeah, background. Yeah, it was just, Scottish I was just awful. like, wow. Like, I, I, I feel like, like, at that time, I didn't know what goosebumps were. I didn't know how, what all of that sort of stuff was. But I just felt some sort of energy inside me, like, whoa. And then, yeah, so we won that game. And I was like, I didn't really understand, like, Champions League that much. I just knew that the best European clubs played. At that time, I was only about nine. Mm. So, I remember it was a Champions League final against Milan and me and my dad were watching it. Milan just scored and they scored again and they scored again and it was half-time and my dad's like to me, there's no point of watching it. Like, it's just going to make yourself more sad. Mm. <laughs> like, it's just going to get worse. They can't be any better. So, I remember, like, Gerard, the way that like, we came out, Benitez changed the structure of the team and then Gerard scored that header. I was like, Okay, consolation at the most. Mm. And then literally a couple of minutes later, Smitsa scored that nice little power driver. Another minute later, Gerard gets taken down and Alonso scores. And then all of a sudden, half an hour left, free all. And I remember the shift that he played, like the shift that he put in in that game. Do I remember right it correctly? Center. Yeah, I was going to say, do I remember it correctly? He started as a right mid that game. Yeah, and right he had mid. Sissoko... Uh, Alonso and Harry Kuehl just in front of him was that correct and we yeah. saw on the left but Harry Kuehl came off as a sub in it he got, yeah, he injured, got injured in the first half he got injured yeah so that's when Smitsa and Haman as well mm. so Gerard was like right mid centre mid supporting striker right back centre back you name it <clears throat> and I just remember his legs just going and then we're going to have to give a special shout out to Jersey Judek for the little that last minute save on Shevchenko's header. That Shevchenko header would have literally, everyone would know about Andrei Shevchenko. Because I'm surprised that people don't know who Andrei Shevchenko is in this day. Yes. He's just remembered for his 2003 uh, Champions League win, but that was a nil-nil against Juventus, but he literally solidified himself with that. He doesn't get the recognition. Definitely doesn't for me. With the elite strikers. Mm, Yeah. He doesn't get that recognition because people remember him from his Chelsea days, isn't it? Which is awful. We're not going yeah, to mention Andrei Shevchenko or Chelsea strikers in this podcast, so don't let's worry about Let's not, that. let's not. Let's continue yeah, with the Champions remember, League final. Yeah, uh-huh. and then I remember just like watching him, like he's just dragged us through the mud, like literally we was nothing. Hmm. And also we got to mention that team was poor. 
That 2004-2005 team was poor. You finished, what, sixth in the league or something like yeah, that? Yeah, we were really bad in the league. But mm. with Champions League, we was amazing because like Champions League nights at Anfield, you know about that. You know, it's different level, different grades. Who doesn't know about that? Exactly. Who doesn't know about Champions League? Apart yeah. from the the crowdless ones at the moment. Yeah. Obviously. That's just been awful. <laughs> yeah, hate it. But that team was actually poor. Like, I remember seeing the lineups. Like, I, like whenever I see it now, I mean, like, comparing man to man, I'm pretty sure AC Milan won 10-1 when it came man to man. Like, the only man that could get into AC Milan's team would have been Gerard. And even that, where would you put him in that midfield? Where would Seidor, you put him? Perlo, You've got Seidor, Perlo, Gattuso. Exactly. That's, 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 the, that's exactly, that's another one. Like, would he fit in there? Who do you take out for him? Mm. But the only one that was even anywhere near getting into that team was Gerard. Our team was so poor. So the way he dragged us through the mud, like, we were nothing. And he literally pulled us through. And at that time, you got to remember, Alonso was still quite young. He wasn't that good yet. He, he wasn't was the Xabi Alonso. He's like, Coming up to those years of becoming, yeah, he was still new. He was just still, just literally quite young, really. He was like 22, 23 himself. As a playmaking midfielder, deep line playmaking midfielder, you have to take a couple of years to get yourself into the game properly. Personally, I've seen you never gone like there's a a player at uh, Eastern Line called Sandro Tonali who people are writing off as a young playmaker, but in five, six years' time, he could be one of the best midfielders. And playmaking that position, you got a it's, it's different compared to like a so-called attacker where yeah. you're more further up. you got like, to be able like to Like a Gerard, for example. Yeah. Gerard was someone that had to go from different positional plays under Rafa Benitez as someone who was literally just stuck in that midfield as a centre midfielder. Not really running the show, but getting into the box late, scoring yeah. goals, influencing exactly. the play in that way. And that's something that takes time as a, as a young centre midfielder, which is what 100%. I really find fascinating when you're watching some of these players that play at uh, smaller teams or teams, like even like Harry Winks, for example, is kind of one of those players that doesn't get the patience because he has to play somewhere else to kind of learn how to play like a number six playmaker. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's something I can talk about later with a certain hero of mine. But yeah, carry on <laughs> carry on with the Champions League. Yeah, so we won the Champions League and it was just like, I remember I, I, I was crying that night. I couldn't believe it. Like, wow, like my hero at that time, like he actually dragged us, dragged us through Mm. And then the year later, the FA Cup final, the Gerard final, which is what it's known as, really, where he literally, we were 3-0 down again, literally dragged us through the game again, and then literally in the 93rd minute or what, just randomly falls, falls to him and he just whacks it. I have, to tell, I have to tell you a story about that. Um, that was probably one of the worst moments for me as a football <laughs> fan, because... At the time, no, it's nothing to do with like Liverpool or anything like that. But at the time, it was 3 2 in the cup final, and there's we were running low on snacks or something in the house, something like that, something random like that. And my mum and dad were like, Oh, this is getting good. This is a good FA Cup final. Hamza, go out and get some snacks from the corner shop. It was like five, five minutes around the corner from us. I was like, oh, No, this is, this is. they're like, No, what time are we going to win? They're going to win. It's, it's going to be good, and we're going to see a London team lift the FA Cup. And, uh, Liverpool going to lose. I'm like, all right, fine then. They're asking for my parents. Um, so I went, I got some snacks and some other stuff just for me anyway. I thought, you know what, let's treat myself like for an ice cream or something. But me taking so long in that corner shop, I got there and I was like, what's happened? And it's like, oh, there's, I think 
I was I walked in, I was shopping, and I saw on the small crappy TV from the newsagents. You know, those old box TVs that are like that. Yeah. <laughs> I hear the commentary of like obviously Gerard scoring another power driver past Shaka Hislop. I think it's Hislop or Rob Green and goal. Shaka Ham. Hislop. Shaka Hislop. And I'm just there like, what the hell, man? I've left home at the wrong time just to see Gerard score on a, on a small, crappy, fuzzy TV. <laughs> One of those moments. I then go home and I'm like, angry at my mum and dad. I'm like, why did you get me to go out now? It's like, it's going to be extra time now. You'll enjoy it. And I, I, I don't know if I've told you this, but you probably remember from our school days. FA got final day in our family was such a big thing back in the day because you just get whatever team's playing, you're just going to enjoy the day and... BBC Sport and ITV Sport, they used to make such a big deal out of the cup final. Now it's just, annoyingly, it's just another game, which is really annoying to see. BBC yeah. Sport do a really good job of like the whole day thing. But with yeah. BBC, they'll have the game on at like a three o'clock kickoff, but they'll bring on the coverage at like two because they've got other shows on. And yeah. they'll, rush, they'll rush the extra time and penalties. But back in those days, the cup final day, there was no other game on in England at the time because you could actually watch the game properly. So I was just there like, you know what? We could have we could have gotten snacks earlier. We could have done this earlier, could have done that earlier. But I'm like, you know what? It's going to be good extra time. And it was a really good extra time. West Ham could have uh, snuck away with it eventually. But then it uh, came to penalties again. So what do you remember about the penalty shootout against West Ham United? Penalty shootout? I don't actually remember much, to be fair. I don't remember Pepe Reina doing the madness. And I remember that, of course. I remember, I think I remember Cissé scoring. Obviously, I remember Gerard scoring. I think Crouch scored one. Because Morientes got subbed off for Crouch, wasn't it? Or something like that. Yeah. Morientes and I remember Reina somewhat had some sort somewhat... He had a little bit of hair at that time as well. Mm. It was yeah. young Reina at the time. Young Reina. And I just remember, I was like, what the hell? Like, two years in a row, two cup finals. Two penalty shootouts in a row. Two penalty shootouts. Two three nil comebacks, like this is crazy. Like, mm. what a time to be a Liverpool fan! But at the same time, whenever I look at our league, <laughs> league stats were just poor. And then I remember, like, all of the cups were done and all of that. And then I remember us buying Fernando Torres. That was this the next. Where it gets a bit interesting. This is That's two three years down it. the line. Yeah. We're not so going to we're not going to mention the other AC Milan final, are we, Amin? Or we, we, oh are we no, skip there's over? no point of that one. We'll skip no over point. that one. We'll Come skip on. over that one. Don't worry. But that's to be fair, that's another thing. He managed to lead us to another Champions League final in 2007. That run up you had, I forgot who you played in that uh, run up to. I think you played Chelsea again, didn't you? In that 2007, we had run-up. Chelsea. We had Barca. Mm. Bellamy scoring at the new Camp. That was, that was iconic. For yeah, Bellamy. Bellamy in that green and white. Green and white shirt. Top. Yeah, that's when Benitez really golf, attacked at the new that camp. Golf celebration before Barcelona that really triggered Barcelona to become a better team, and they signed Henri that summer. So, when Henri left the Premier League that year, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I remember buying Fernando Torres. I was like, obviously, I was a bit skeptical because we we're giving Luis Garcia away, and I like Luis Garcia. And you had Dirk out the season before as well. Mm, he, scored in, got... he scored in Athens as well, but he was they weren't sure about where they're going to play him. He ended up as a right winger, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Instead of a striker. Initially, he was a striker, but I think Benitez saw that this guy's got a good work rate. Mm. So we got Fernando Torres, tweaked the formation, Mastrano came in. Permanently. From West Ham. Mm. And like, our Babel. team was... Yeah, and we, uh, yeah, our team was getting a bit more solid. Like We had... 
a nice little 4 2 3 1 formation with Alonso and Mastrano holding Babel slash Riera on the left, Cal on the right, Gerard just off Torres. And that was like one of the best times up to then, like me supporting Liverpool. It was good. It's like you said, it's one of the best times to be a Liverpool fan in the league as well. It's yeah, something that you could literally uh, see your team winning week in, week out, doing yeah, really attractive yeah. football. And you weren't burnt out from your European nights or your cup nights because that's how Liverpool played under Rafa Benitez. They were really energetic. They were highly enthusiastic from the from the front, yeah. pressing from the front, following Gerard's um, leadership, really, which is, yeah. which is great to see as a Man United fan because you knew they'd slip up eventually. They'd end up losing a couple goals here and there against teams like Reading, against teams like... We had a lot of draws. Teams like Blackburn as well. It's something stupid that... Yeah, just, because you had such a good team, you didn't have such a good squad. That was what was annoying. Gerard That's was irreplaceable in that in that team. Torres That's was the irreplaceable. Problem. I remember. Voronin was not the replacement for, for Fernando Torres. That sub striker. No. no. And it just didn't no. work in your favour, unfortunately. Yeah, it was poor. Like our squad was bad. Like the only good replacement we had was Babel for Riero. Like whenever Riero was subbed off, we put on Babel. Mm. Ben Ayun was somewhat okay. It did his in job. Terms of, it, yeah, in terms of in terms of like striker, like Torres, Gerard, Mastriano, Alonso, we'd never we didn't really have a replacement. And even with your core, Carriga, Aga, Carriga, Skirt all coming through as well. Skirt all. Yeah. Skirt and Aga didn't really play that much because Carriga was kind of like stuck in that team, basically. Yeah. And then like left back wise, we were poor. Aurelio. After we went, it was Aurelio in Sua. Right back, we just had Arbeloa. Mm. So, Finland had left. Really, yeah, Finland had left. So, squad wise, we were poor. Whereas United, who was our rivals at that time, especially for the league, in the middle, you had your Andersons, your Fletchers, whilst having scores and Carrick there already. This was when had, this, this is like, uh, this is literally the difference between us because back in those days, we had five subs on the bench as well. So, you could see any kind of combination from our 2007 to 2009 kind of team when we won the league three years in a row we could literally rest players against uh let's say Dynamo Kiev in in the midweek but Ronaldo would still play we'd rest players on the weekend but Tevez and Rooney would still play etc etc like you said in the midfield where the engine room is in football at that time in the Premier League Paul Scholes who I'm going to get onto in a bit he was there to dictate the players for Man United and he was to make sure that we were controlling the game properly and that's kind of where a young Javi Alonso just wasn't at that point in his career and that's yeah. that's, that's honestly for me to say because you could have a holding before with Mascherano next to him it was brilliant at stopping the ball cutting the lines and everything <clears> like that but as a as a Man United fan when you've got Scholes and Carrick in there dictating the play in the Premier League you could end up playing free in midfield with Carrick and Anderson and Fletcher Carrick uh, Fletcher and um, Owen Hargreaves as well doing really well at that time but it's just one of those things that having a controlling midfielder at the time for Liverpool probably could have helped you in the league a lot better with Xabi Alonso, with Mascherano, with Gerard as well. But that's something that, like you said, you kind of lacked in your squad at the time. Yeah, definitely. So I think that was the main reason why we couldn't keep up with you guys. Like we kept, we pushed you towards the end of a few seasons for the league, but it wasn't ever going to happen. We was always going to slip up. And it was in it was only in that 0809 season where we kind of saw you as dominant title uh, contenders as well. Contenders, yeah. We lost that uh, Anfield in September. Uh, I think it was like Burbis was debut as well. We lost two one where Tevez 
Berbatov and Rooney were playing. I think Tevez scored, and then we lost two one that that game as well. And that was awful at Anfield, as you do. We don't really play well at Anfield in his in historical Premier League games. And then that was just when you were kind of getting your team up and running. Really, you were managed. Gerald was managing his game a bit better for me personally at the time. You're like, you know what? He's not running around like a madman. He doesn't need to anymore because he's got the team around him that's kind of doing it. He had Mascherano there helping him out. He had Alonso dictating play a lot better than he was. And Fernando Torres was in the form of his life those two, three years he was he started at Liverpool. So yeah. you could get one, two goals up and you could shut a game up properly, which is something that Liverpool hadn't really done recently yeah. in that time. Yeah. That was what really worried us because Benitez had invested in and really defense uh really defending the lead properly which is really good and I remember that game you played against Blackburn you were winning 3-0 within uh 40 minutes and Benitez was like nah it's game over it's done it's finished and he had time to actually uh rest Torres but he could actually do that and that was something that was ridiculously scary when you ended up coming to Old Trafford that year and Cristiano Ronaldo scored a penalty in front of a Stratford end to make it 1-0 but we know what happens after that. You can take Torres that away. Torres and Vidic. And not even just Torres as well. Gerard have Gerard's wearing that free kick. People forget yeah. that because of that iconic Aurelio. camera celebration. Yeah. And then to top it off, the Sena scored as well, that lob. That chip, yeah, that was ridiculous. He did that to Van der Sar as well. That was a game where we had Anderson and Fletcher in the midfield, if I remember correctly. And Skulls mm, and yeah. Skulls. No, Anderson and Carrick in the midfield. Skulls, Giggs and Berbatov came on as subs. But Skulls was, again, a player that I thought was really good at dictating the play. So I don't like these comparisons of Skulls, Gerrard and uh, Lampard. Lampard. But with me, again, going back to my football, one of my football in here is being Paul Skulls, number 18. I was born on the 18th of the month, so I've always had an inclination to the number 18. Skulls, Ashley and Bruno Fernandes on the moment, so it's all running good. Even with us, with Paul Scholes, he was a different kind of player to Gerard. So that's what I wanted to talk about personally. How everyone was like, oh, Scholes, Gerard Lampard. It's kind of like Grealish, Madison, Mount or Foden at the moment. People want to compare players because they're English and they're scoring goals every now and then. Paul Scholes wasn't a great goal scorer after 2004, I would say. That's when he changed his game to becoming the proper dictating midfielder when he could actually pull the strings. He could let other players kind of run through on goal. A young Ronaldo, a Jason Park. Uh, young Wayne Rooney as well, Luis Saha doing really well. And that was something that I'm not going to pretend like I saw him in 99 or whenever. That's when he won the Champions League as a goal scorer midfielder because he had Roy Keane next to him. But he, he obviously adapted his game when he had Michael Carrick in 2007 with him, which was brilliant. And I think when he retired from England, that just took his game to another level where he could actually be our conductor. And you've seen the people that I've quoted on like Thierry Henry saying Paul Scholes is probably the best midfielder of his generation. Vieira saying it, Zidane saying it, Xavi and Iniesta saying it. And you've got people like on social media saying, oh, Scholes didn't score goals as much as Gerard and Lampard. But for me, it's now, not about that. It's about, yeah. how, it's about how you dictate a, a game of football and how he got others into play. He got a young way really to score loads of goals. He's got a Saha, he got Van Nistro through and goal a lot as well. And that's why I think... England failed to actually have Paul Scholes as that proper number six in midfield to dictate the play like a Perlo or a Xavi did. And especially at Euro 2004, that was insulting to see him playing as a winger, as a left midfielder against what Croatia and France and all of that nonsense. That was awful. You could have easily, if Swenger and Oakson actually changed it from the classic English 4-4-2, England would have won that competition. There's no doubt about that. Even with the Easy, 4-3-3. Not even 4-3-3. Even being a bit more adventurous, like a 3-5-2, having Beckham 
add Ashley Cole as the wing backs, probably playing another centre back like Ledley King or something like that. Then you've got Gerard, Skulls, Lampard in midfield. And then you've got Rooney up, Rooney up front. You've got the width, you've got the control in midfield of Skulls, you've got the bombing uh, midfielders of Gerard and Lampard. And that was that was young Stephen Gerard and young Frank Lampard at the time. Lampard got second or third in the Ballon d'Or list that year as well, which is ridiculous. It was a fantastic player to watch. And that's why I really don't like the fact of comparing these kind of players because different They're kind all of players. different in their own way. And mm. also, this current generation, this current generation of fans, they're so stats-obsessed. I hate... So, yeah, you can't be stat-padding yeah. in football. They're so obsessed with stats. Don't get me wrong. Roberto Firmino isn't playing well right now. <laughs> but his stats are always brought up. This will be going out in April, so he could be playing well in April. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but currently, we're in February. But mm. let's just say March. We're in March. 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 Oh my god! Yeah. But currently, like his off form doesn't really score. He's never really been a true goal scorer. But no one understands what his role is. It's and more to get line. like Salah and Amani in. He but brings his, a, yeah. he, he brings himself out of position to get Mane and Salah into position. Exactly. So that's what it is. Like nowadays, kids, they just look at it as, oh, you know what? I think Lampard might have been the best one. His stats look amazing. Hmm. Gerard and Scholes, mm, yeah. That okay. that one about Lampard really annoys me. I'm not taking it away from Frank Lampard. He's a fantastic midfielder and one of the worst players to play against Man United because he scored like every other time. Um, but the fact that people are like, oh, if Lampard stops scoring in 20, oh, yeah. 2009 he had more assists than goals yeah. they had more than skulls they had more than Xavi more than Iniesta yeah. you're not going to argue Lampard against Xavi and Iniesta they're just different players entirely but that's what I loved about Paul Scholes and Steven Gerrard personally they adapted their games but it's just because they didn't adapt it for England or they didn't get into the system under uh, Svengar and Eriksson apparently oh. Scholes did really well under Glenn Hoddle in like Euro 96 and 90 he did I didn't see that I, yeah, I, I have read it yeah like yeah. That's the problem. Like Sven was a big problem. He had the golden generation. Like he had the he players that he could have he asked could, for, and he had the they, European. They, they were literally world class in every position except for goalkeeper. Yeah, literally, at that it time, was. At and, that time, David Seaman was dying out, but he was still class. And then David James came through as well. So it's just like yeah. David James, Paul Robinson. No one yeah. really kind of taking the reins as a world class English keeper. Yeah, but in like. I'm not sure if you watched that Rio Ferdinand BT Sport um, interview, the one with Lampard, not Lampard, Gerard and... Is it Lampard it and Gerard? Lampard, Gerard and Ferdinand, weren't it? Yeah, the, why did the golden generation fail? That one, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've watched it. Mm. And they, they, they basically, they more or less put Sven under the bus. But that's what but players they, do, to be fair. Like, but, he, Ferdinand went on about David Moyes being a bad manager, but to be fair, Ferdinand was awful in his final season for Man United, but... yeah. They, they, no just one, wanna, yeah. they just want to pass the blame to someone else. Uh, yeah, not a lot of them take be, accountability. To be fair, they did take part of the blame as well because they always used to say the Man United table sat here, the Liverpool table sat here, the Chelsea players sat, sat here. Like They were never like... As a, they were never together because they were always yeah. worried about coming together in September or October in an in international break and yeah. just getting on with their team because you don't want to increase the level of Frank Lampard from giving it from... Um, giving advice to Steven Gerrard if you're a Chelsea player this, that and the other. So they played as individuals and yeah. looking back at it, you can see that. But again, I was one of the biggest England fans when I was a kid and I was just there. Like, Same here. I, I nearly loved England as much as Liverpool. 
Same with me. Like, 2002 World Cup, I was crying when we lost to Brazil. Yeah. 2006 against penalties, I was like, get Ronaldo out of the club. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> but that that we don't need to say that anymore. That's going on the podcast, but it's not, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> yeah, but like, he, nowadays, nowadays, like, you see they're all boys. Like, you see Rashford and Sancho. You see your... Grealish and Saka. That's the funny yeah. one. That's a funny yeah. combination. Do you get? Like, they're all friends. Mm. But... I think I think that's to be credited to the St George's Park in Burton, where they actually go for a proper, uh, not just camp. a training ground, it's actual camp. Because every yeah. other country, major country, has had that, and you can see that in players like uh, South American countries, especially when they go back to Brazil when they're playing with their clubs, they're just boys again. They're like yeah. boys, and they're just boys in, in the playground, basically just chat, just chatting. Yeah, like even when Spain was dominating in 08, 10, 12... Sergio Ramos and Puyol would be grabbing each other's throats mm. in a in, in the in the classical. Yeah. But once they were the national teams, they were all kissing each other. No, oh, forgot about it. They got on with it. Do you get like that's the difference? Like they knew what it meant to win in all competitions. That's something that really like if Skulls wasn't played as a left midfielder for England, but even if he actually stayed as an England player, he'd have just been another player in that squad because they're focused on uh, Gareth Barry, Lampard and Gerrard because he thought Gareth Barry would be the one to hold in midfield. Lampard and Gerrard can bomb on or sometimes Gerrard would play as number 10. He didn't really play out wide which is good to see under Capello. I'm really happy about that. But that was kind of when um, Michael Carrick was again just a squad player for Man United and again he's another kind of player that would dictate the game. He would calm the game down. He would make sure that if there was a counter attack coming on the opposite side coming toward him he would stay back and make sure that he could actually help out the defence and that was something really good from Michael Carrick to see. But with Paul Scholes, Paul Scholes was just there making sure that he could ping a ball wherever on the pitch. You could point somewhere and he'd, he'd, he'd ping it with the right, right way to pass with the right accuracy and it'd make sure that a play was through on goal. And that's something that I really believe that Steven Gerrard did in his later years. So probably we'll, we'll skip the 2008-9 thing, but kind of when... Uh, Kenny Dalglish came into effect really because he stopped playing as a number 10 behind like the likes of Suarez or Andy Carroll at the time. He became more of a holding midfielder, kind of next to Jordan Henderson or Jay Spearing or someone, some of that basically. That was kind of when I saw I saw Steven Gerrard, and I think people kind of appreciated how he was as a goal scorer. He's got that hat trick against uh, Everton that season as well. And there's that season when you were challenging for the league under Brendan Rodgers as well. And that's kind of when you see in that formation, Gerrard was at the the six in the diamond behind Henderson and Coutinho, Sterling, Sturridge and Suarez as well. So I just wanted to know what kind of, what iteration of Steven Gerrard did you like the most? Did you kind of like him at the number six kind of dictating the play or did you like him bombing forward, scoring amazing goals and kind of being that explosive captain, that captain Marvel that you can see pulling his team over the line and winning trophies? What kind of iteration of Steven Gerrard did you like? Bombing forward and scoring worldies always. Mm. Because at that time, his, the team he had was poor. So he'd done everything himself. 13-14 mm. season, when he was a holding midfielder, he had Henderson for the legs. He had Coutinho, Sterling, Suarez, Sturridge. Like, he had good goals teams. for the creativity. Yeah, that was there. He just had to like, you know, make sure that he's dictating, spraying the passes. Defence was poor. I'm mm. not going to lie. It was, the back five was terrible. Colo but, Torre, you had Mignolet in goal. Colo Torre is good, obviously, but at, at that time, he wasn't the best. Glenn Johnson, Flanagan. Flanagan. Like, yeah, it was poor. Gerrard's played in some really, really, really poor Liverpool teams. Like, really bad. 
Yeah. The Champions League winning one, that was Paul. Literally, it was just him. Alonso was still young. Up front, we didn't like they were just, Milan Barros up front, innit? Yeah, they were just okay players, innit? Yeah, they weren't proper goal scorers. Yeah, I don't replace Michael Owen properly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we tried to with like Morientes and all of them lot, but it didn't really work out. Cisse, Crouch, oh, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Cisse would have been amazing. He just was in he was just injury prone. Mm. He was really good. Even Henri said like he was wicked, but he were meant to be. Then the 08-09 season, there was more balance. Rafa brought in a bit more balance, like more players like working the team, like everyone was in their own positions and they knew what their their task was. Yeah. Once Torres left, that's when it went. That was it was poor. We got Suarez, but he was still quite young. He wasn't that that gunman that you see every now yeah, and then for the last exactly. ten years or so. Yeah, still and at coming that time, into himself, and it, they were trying to link Carroll and Suarez together. So sometimes mm, Suarez had to drop out wide, and it yeah, just, it wasn't exactly, happening. it wasn't happening. And at that time, we had like Jay Spearing, Poulsen, like it was Paul. Mm. Like I remember that team; it was rubbish. Morelles, all of them lot. Because what I wanted to ask you now was, do you reckon Steven Gerrard as a holding <clears throat> midfielder would have been brilliant in his prime as opposed to this bombing kind of midfielder? Because like I said, I really liked him in that 13-14 season when he was kind of dictating players, kind of bringing Liverpool forward, but from the back, he let other players kind of push on and score the goals and get more of the glory in a way. But so I, I'm, just, I'm, just, me? I'm just kind of thinking, you know what? Like, Because of the quality, like you said, they it wasn't there. So he kind of had to do two, three different roles, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, just to get mm. your team over the line. But that's yeah. what annoys me. Like the recruitment at Liverpool at the time wasn't the best. You didn't replace Owen. You didn't really replace Heskey. And you had like injury-prone players, injury players left, right and centre. But that's kind of why, I, like even with Paul Scholes, like I keep saying, I, I appreciate him more as a dictating midfielder because he let other players get the glory got other players to score more goals and they had the legs to kind of run past them and skulls would find them that's something that Gerard did really well for England I should say he did really well for them in the Euro 2012 when he was holding with Scott Parker in midfield against like Sweden a couple other teams Italy we just got run we got run over by Perlo run right yeah run right by Perlo and even in 2014 I know we got knocked out of the group stages but he was kind of trying to dictate play with Henderson in the midfield against again Italy we lost Uruguay we lost them that was it really but that's kind of what that's kind of the Steven Gerrard I kind of like to see and I appreciate him when he was kind of in his older age but if you had the choice would you still be happy with Steven Gerrard as an attacking midfielder or would he have just been someone that you would have kind of see dictating the play if I'm to put Gerrard in our current team right now Mm. he'd be that he'd be an attacking midfielder so he'd be kind of like you'd have Henderson Wijnaldum and Gerrard but Gerrard would be the one bombing forward Fabinho, Fabinho, Henderson, Gerard, or yeah. Fabinho, Thiago. Like, there's so we've got so many centre mids right now. You get it, it Gerard, would be Gerard, the one behind the striker, basically making those yeah, Gerard, runs. Gerard would be a number eight, but attacking number eight. Because mm. with me, I'd see Paul Scholes as again. I, I loved him when he was scoring goals in in his earlier years when I remember watching him growing up. But but he was a very good dictator. That's why, like, he was the, me he was the dictating. English centre mid that no one appreciated until yeah. he retired. Even my United yeah. fans didn't see how good he was until he retired, and then he had to come back that same the next season again just to help us out in midfield as well. Because that's when he wore number twenty-two. Yeah, man, he, it just because Ashley Young got number eighteen in it. Yeah, definitely. 
But no, it was, it was for me. If I was to have him in, in our midfield at the moment, I'd have him as that dictator midfielder, not the one bombing forward, scoring the goals, the one that had the eye for the killer pass, the one that could calm the game down. He could make sure that the, the right passes were played properly. And someone that really managed the game well, who's a coach on the pitch, I think that's someone, I think Mike Phelan or Carlos Queer as one of our assistant coaches, I had called him the coach on the pitch previously, which is really good to see him. And that's something that I really like because that's something that Frank Lampard, um, was always known for just scoring goals. Paul Scores was always known for being another English player, which obviously when kids nowadays look at stats, Paul Scores didn't score as many goals as Lampard and Gerrard, but Scores had a different role in the in the team. And Scores allowed the other players to get the stats, to get, to get the goals. Because even if I was to compare it, I wouldn't compare Gerrard, Lampard and Scores. I'd compare Gerrard, Lampard and Rooney. Because Rooney was playing as an attacking midfielder at the time for Man United. He wasn't always number nine. He was sometimes number 10 or sometimes even number eight. And you can compare their goals as well together. But that's kind of how I would see it personally if, if we were to see them in the current teams, in the current lineups as well. And just to finish it off, Amino, I'd like to know your top three Steven Gerrard memories as a Liverpool fan or as an England fan, if there was any. Go for it. Top three Steven Gerrard memories. Lifting the Champions League. The Olympiacos goal. Hmm. And... There's so many, I don't know which one to choose. It's in no order, it's fine. Just any. Um, it's just him being a loyal footballer and not, him just... Not moving to him. Chelsea under Jose that, Mourinho. That, I, I don't blame him. Mm. I'll be honest, I don't blame him. He could have won that, so much of them. He would have got his league so title. He, he could have easily won plenty of league titles. He, like, But, you know, he chose to be loyal somewhat. But he stayed in the end. And him just always, like, violating Everton. I loved it. <laughs> just ruined them completely. He always um, ruined them. He did so much against Everton, and that's something that you probably would have needed as well, that bit of scouse passion you needed in your team recently as well. Yeah. What about yours with Skulls? I'll say mine with Gerard just to be a bit, just to join in the fun. Uh, Gerard for me, obviously slipping against Chelsea with the demo bar coming through. Uh, one of my favourite ones was the USA goal in the World Cup, if you remember. Yeah, that, Heskey gave him a little pat down, didn't he? He, he laid it off. I'm just there, like this is this is going to be this is going to be one of the most amazing World Cup uh, campaigns of our lives, and then it just happened with Germany, and we didn't. It, nothing happened as well. And another go- another one for me was when he, when you see him against, I don't know who it was, it was someone in the Premier League, but he scored one of the most amazing goals. I think it's against Middlesbrough. It was one of the most amazing goals. About forty yards, and he just whacked it on the half volley. Yeah, at the cop end, you're just there like this is ridiculous, man. But the talent he has, and he does it every other week, is ridiculous. Yeah, I thought it was incredible. Um, But yeah, those are mine with Gerard. Mine with Scholes would be probably he scored a really good goal. He scored one against Aston Villa at Villa Park, which was amazing. Yeah, I I remember him being vital for us winning the FA Cup in two thousand four. He scored a goal against Arsenal in the semi-final at Villa Park as well. So, of course, goals clearly likes Villa Park, which is fun. And one of them for me is when he came back from retirement and he was just there kind of just, again, dictating the play and showing, playing, showing our midfield. It's not always about scoring goals or bombing out the pitch and stuff like that. And um, he kind of helped. We didn't help us. We finished second because uh, of goal difference at the time. But we were so close to winning the league. But it was just one of those things that it shows a testament to his character it was like, you know what? I'm not going to sit out. I can't see my team 
um, do this, that, and the other. Because I was listening on the Man United official podcast that like, he was like, I was still fit, I could still play, but I was just coaching the reserves. I couldn't really do much at the time. Um, but it was all a secret when I came back from uh, retirement to play against Man City in the FA Cup. And it was just it was a good testament of character because he stayed for another season, but he realised kind of his best days were past him. But it was just the fact that he came back to help us when he needed to. He was a proper Man United servant and he did so well, especially after having an eye injury in 2006 where he could have almost ended his career because one of his eyes was just ridiculously damaged. So mm. it just goes to show that he's got a testament of character of just coming back from these injuries. And it was really nice to see him win the Champions League in 2008 after being suspended for the final in 99. But yeah, if you have any Paul Scholes memories, by all means, let us know. His tackling ability. <laughs> His non-existent tackling ability. His tackling was atrocious. Like, he'd pick up a yellow every other game. Mm. Like, his timing was crazy. Another memory, like, that Villa Park one where he scored that that volley. I remember mm. that. He just flew in. How he, he was like, he was very, he was like our version of a Pearl. He was very nonchalant. Like, Good way of describing him. Yeah, very nonchalant. He, he didn't very, care what was happening off the pitch. Yeah, he just like, came on the pitch, did his yeah, job. Yeah, he just, he just, just goes about his business and he's just controlling the whole game with 22 men on the pitch. Like, mm. nothing, nothing nothing, crazy. But it was just simple for him. It like, was just, it was an art. That's a, that's a weird, that's a really good way of putting it. Just, again, football was an art to many footballers like Zidane and Pearl and Javi and Paul yeah. Scholes just made it look like an art form as well. Where yeah. you could just ping a ball from one side of the pitch to yeah. and make sure he could... Doesn't break a sweat. Doesn't break a sweat. And you look at him, even when he was uh, in his in his latter years as well, he wasn't running around the pitch like he apparently used to when he was a younger man. He could just read the game properly. He could learn how his teammates were playing and he would know where Nani would be or he'd know where Tevez would be or this, that and the other. And that's kind of one of, um, not a regret, but like, imagine like if we had signed Van Persie two, three years previously and Skulls pinging it to Van Persie so many more times. That would have been fun to see. Would have been wicked, yeah. And even in for England as well. That's one of my not it's not it's not my regret to give, but it's a really bad moment to have like all of these young England players coming through, like a Raheem Sterling work with Paul Scholes, that'd have been sick, or Wayne Rooney coming through like he did, playing more with Paul Scholes in England. And if we got that Lampard's goals, Gerard combination. That's what I was just gonna say. I would have loved to see him not retire so early because he only retired at like 28, 29, didn't he? Yeah, 28 so in 2004. He- yeah, so had he stayed when football was evolving a bit more, mm. when people started having three in the middle, skulls holding Gerard Lampard being box to box would have been brilliant. Like Owen Rooney, probably Owen was dying out, but Rooney as the focal nine, mm. and at that time we had like more wingers coming through. Like there's you a young had, young Aaron Lennon coming through. Beckham was on his Lennon way out had as well. Ashley Young. Theo like, Walcott, can't forget him. Walcott, yeah, exactly. Wright Phillips. So, James you know, Milner. Yeah, exactly. So that's the, that's the only shame that I can see from Paul Scholes' um, career mm-hmm. if he had stayed on a little bit longer for international duty. Definitely. Let's let's try not to end it on such a, a glum thought. So <laughs> I'm not sure what we can do. But yeah, I, I would say this is probably the end of our Ramadan series, unless there's one more that, I, that someone else wants to record, by all means. I've loved this series, talking to some of my old friends and family members about footballing heroes. And it was just really nice to have a conversation with you, Aminor, despite um, your football and your football hero being like a swear word on our podcast. This technically, 
count as a podcast that's fine like a normal episode of a podcast so uh yeah it was really nice to just hear your thoughts on steve and gerard and kind of go back to our playground days of oh do you see that gerard god you see that skulls god it was just, that, <laughs> it was just uh, like yeah i saw it but it was against us so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get happy about it especially that, <laughs> that, that four one and the way he made Anfield his domain as well, it was just really good to see. And he had that, yeah. he had that power on him. And what what would you say? Do you reckon you'd have Steven Gerrard back as the replacement for Klopp as a manager? Eventually. Eventually. Not yet. Not yet. I he's, think he needs a little bit more experience. I don't want him to become like a Lampard. He's done really well at Rangers, which is brilliant to see. And he can more just secured. It's secured than the league after what six, seven years of not winning the league <clears> yet, um in Scotland. And with I, quite a I, lot of games in hand as well definitely it's, it's made them yeah. made it a farmers league basically and even yeah. for rangers at this time of speaking they're still in the europa league and they've still got a um a really good even watching them rangers are actually a fun team to watch in the he league, actually so. plays very attractive football definitely does and again yeah. it's the team the players buy into it which is brilliant and it's nice to see that you can actually go from going through your coaching badges properly and you can learn from it properly and it's one of those things that if players don't rush into big roles or if they don't rush into manager roles straight away and you actually learn how to coach properly, Stephen yeah, Gerrard's sure. a prime example that it works. And Frank Lampard, he was never going to say no to the Chelsea role, but it's actually quite sad to see like our footballing heroes from our childhood. One's a pundit, one's a sacked manager, one's a successful manager at, um, at, at Rangers. And another one for Wayne Rooney is a manager at Derby County. So... Our, our time has flown by. That, as, as that just shows how, how we're getting older and older. <laughs> Definitely. Just don't look at our beards if you're watching this on YouTube. You're, you can just hear from our voices. Just this. Then again, our, our listeners would never know what we're like as kids. That's so perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but nah, it's all well and good. Uh, but no, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you all had a really good Ramadan and I hope you liked our little Ramadan series. Amino, as always, thanks for uh, the Thanks for having me once again. No worries. And we'll talk to you later. See you later.